welcome to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I'm Lori Harder, founder of The Bliss Project, three-time fitness world champion, fitness expert, and cover model turned self-love junkie, lifestyle entrepreneur, and author. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a thought that will help you bust through your fears, connect to your soul, and get focused and clear so you can elevate your life, business, and relationships. We don't wait until we're ready for someone to tell us we're good enough. We take what we want and we anoint ourselves. Get ready to earn, own, and unapologetically rock your happiness every single day. Are you with me? Here we go. Welcome back to the show. I'm so grateful that you have tuned in for another episode. And today, my incredible guest is Kara Alwell Leba. She is a best selling author and a master life coach who encourages women to live their most effervescent lives, celebrate themselves every day, and make happiness a priority. Her amazing podcast called Style Your Mind has over 2.8 million listeners worldwide. Kara's glamorous approach to self-help has attracted thousands of women to attend her workshops and events around the country. She has been featured in Glamour, Shape, Entrepreneur, Success, Cosmo, Marie Claire, and many others. And this is one of those human beings that I just instantly connected with after I got to meet her and after I got to chat with her on her podcast, which you can also tune in to find our episode. And you guys, let's get started. Kara, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Lori. I'm so excited to be here. I cannot wait to chat with you. I feel like I know you. So um, (laughs) it's kind of crazy. Like literally, it's one of those relationships where I'm like, oh, what's Kara doing today? Oh my God, I love her bag. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) same. Same. I told all the girls in my Facebook group, I was like, I'm talking to Lori at six. We're going to have, we're going to do a podcast. And they were like freaking out. They're like, oh my God, I love you two together. Like, oh. oh, I love that so much. It's so funny because when you first came in my reel, I'm not even sure how it happened, but it was immediate. I like my um, alter ego uh, desires pink hair, which I will absolutely do one day. <laughs> you have and then, and, like and I seriously, I know, um, I know it will be. And so that was like massive inspiration, and also just how you show up in the world. So it, it doesn't matter what your post is; it's so authentic. Um, so it just always spoke to me. And also, I'm honestly, I love Chanel. So <laughs> <laughs> instant bond, right? So I was like, oh, she loves Chanel. Okay, here we go. All right. So <laughs> I don't know why. Isn't that weird? How you can start to like certain things? I just feel like it has this like romantic allure to it. I I don't know. I know. And it's like, I think it represents like high quality luxury, all of the things that I think we aspire to kind of like grow Mm -hmm. into in our own lives and our businesses. It's like from just from every angle, I look at it from like the nerd angle. I look at the Mm -hmm. brands and I'm like, they're just so amazing at every single thing that they do. Mm -hmm. And then just the girly side of me, of course, loves them. So I get it. (laughs) Okay. So I'm so excited to chat with you today. And I would love for anyone who's not familiar with you, you guys go follow her. Um, the champagne diet, right? It has done in the beginning, doesn't it? Okay. The champagne diet, love following you. And can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now and, and what really sparked that passion? What was the turning point in your life that got you started doing that? Yeah. So I am, um, just a regular girl from Brooklyn, New York. I currently live in Manhattan, but I grew up in Brooklyn and I always wanted to be a writer. Like my dream from the time that I was little, I was like, I'm going to be an author. I'm going to write books. And like most people, I kind of went down the road that I thought I should go down. I took a job at MTV. I worked in a, in a corporate job for many, many years. And while I was sort of in my corporate job, I just, I like everyone listening, probably who's ever had a corporate job. I had that feeling of like, just feeling really stuck and feeling like I wasn't in a space where I could truly express myself creatively. You know, I look at myself as an artist before an entrepreneur. I see myself as a creative before I see myself as a businesswoman. So that's, it's always been important to me to be in a space where I can create things. And I found myself, you know, taking on this job. I was 26 when I got my job at MTV and feeling like I had all of these like 
you know, hopes and dreams that were just slowly getting, rather quickly (laughs) getting buried. Mm. And I, you know, I, I had this sort of life transformation when I was around that age and I broke up with a boyfriend that I had been with for a long time. And I just really started to reevaluate who I was and where I was going. And I decided that I was going to start a blog and my blog was inspired by a glass of champagne. Mm. And that was where the name The Champagne <laughs> Diet came from. I know it's so weird, but no, it's really inspired it's amazing. by that. <laughs> <laughs> and for many reasons. I mean, the reason why initially it was called The Champagne Diet is because I was looking for something that I could you know, enjoy to indulge in from time to time that wasn't going to be loaded with a thousand calories, like you know, crazy margarita or a mixed drink. And a friend of mine said, you should start drinking champagne. Like that's what all the models drink. And like, it's like a sexy <laughs> drink. And like, that's what they drink in Paris. And I was like, okay. And you know, growing up like dirt poor, like we never drank champagne. Like my mom would be like, what? Like laugh in my face if I told her I wanted to like get a glass of champagne, like at a restaurant, you know, that was so not in my world. So it felt like totally out of my comfort zone, but I started drinking champagne and that kind of became my thing. And we, I named the blog, The Champagne Diet as a joke. But I did notice that when I was drinking champagne, I felt really different. I felt like everything kind of shifted in the room. And I'm sure that you felt this way. If you're out at a restaurant or a bar and you order champagne and the bartender like pops that bottle and it makes that sound and all of a sudden everybody's excited and it kind of like creates a sense of celebration. Mm -hmm. So I immediately viewed champagne as a metaphor for my life. And I thought, why can't every day be a celebration? Like, why can't I celebrate every single day? Why can't I have a glass of champagne on a Tuesday afternoon? Or why can't I pull out that dress from my closet or that top from my closet or that purse, that Chanel bag, right? That Mm -hmm. I've been saving forever and like just use it in my everyday. So the blog was really kind of the, the jumping point for me to start making major changes in my career. I fell in love with blogging. I loved writing. I knew I had a book in me. I think like many women do. Um, and I, I, but I had to figure out how to make it work. You know, I think when we think about writing books, it's like, well, who's going to read it, you know? Mm. So I knew that I needed to build this platform and I started building it through the blog. And this was, by the time that I launched, it was 2008. So it's, it just had its 10 year anniversary, which is so crazy. And I remember back then we just had like Twitter and Facebook to really promote ourselves. There was no Instagram. Social media was not what it was today, but I'd write up these little posts and these little stories and I'd share them. And, you know, all of a sudden women from like other countries were responding and tweeting at me and DMing me and saying, you know, this really resonated with me. I really felt something from what you shared. And my whole thing from the beginning has just been about being vulnerable and Mm -hmm. saying the things most people won't say and talking about when it gets really messy and what that looks like and how to kind of build yourself back up from those breakdowns. And that was really, you know, everything for me has always been about transformation and really connecting with people at those transformative times in their life. And my life, when I was blogging, had just fallen apart and I was rebuilding everything. So from the blog that did turn into a book, I wound up self-publishing a few books. I became a certified master life coach because I wanted to really turn that into an an actual business, right? Because at the time, blogging was not really lucrative in terms of a career. And that was that. And I did that for many, many years at MTV. And I finally... I think I was, I had been doing it for like six or seven years when I walked away and I quit my corporate job in 2014 and I've been doing this ever since. So a lot more books under my belt and a lot more blog posts and a podcast, but that's kind of the long and short of it. Wow. That is amazing. And, and honestly, I love where it all started. And it's so funny because that's another thing I have in common with you is I, I actually, that is literally my drink and I feel the same way about it. And it was from just, I want to feel like I'm celebrating all the time. Um, and another thing someone was, uh, I think it was Dom, Dom Perignon actually, who said it's like drinking the stars. Yes. Come quickly. I'm tasting stars. Oh my God. It's so pretty. I know. I love it's it. just so beautiful. And I, I think that that can be um, not just champagne, but that can be applied to life, really shifting perspective and finding, um, you know, the, the celebration in everything. And that's kind of what we want to chat about today, because I know that uh, when you are taking on um, a life of being an entrepreneur, I think so many times it is so incredibly easy to stop ourselves. And 
I really want to chat about today, and I know you talk so much about this in your book, and can we just say that you have a new book coming out, like She Owns the Place, and it's Yay. so amazing, and I'm so excited. Um, and it's so, honestly, when I started reading it, I was like, I am so relating to this, and I felt so inspired and fired up, which is like a Thank shot you. in the arm. So, Thank you. So, so I really good. appreciate that. Oh my God. I'm so excited for it. I'm excited for you and everybody who gets to read it. So, okay. Back to what you're talking about in the book is really, I want to talk about the different levels of what we experience as uh, stepping into becoming entrepreneurs, especially if you know it's your calling. So there's so many things that can stop us. And a lot of it is just how we're looking at it and our perspective. So what are some of the things that you think when you were starting out that you noticed tried to take you down and how did you shift around that in business? Oh gosh, so many things. So I, I love that you're talking about this because I think what happens is a lot of women who want to start businesses kind of see this like very glossy, pretty Instagrammable version of female entrepreneurship. And they think that they're going to achieve all this massive success really quickly. And there's never going to be a challenge because no one's ever talking about the challenges. So I love to talk about the glamour and the glitz and the fun stuff, but I also love to talk about what went wrong and how I moved through it. And the first real taste of um, letdown or disappointment that I experienced in my career was when I decided that I wanted to write a book. It was right around the time I launched the blog in 2008. And I had a story in me and I was so passionate about telling it. So I went through, you know, I, Google is like my best friend. Whenever people email <laughs> me and like ask me a basic question, I'm like, Google it. <laughs> Google, mm -hmm. Google is like just like chock full of answers. And I lived on Google for so many years and I still do. But I was trying to figure out how to get a book deal. I would literally Google that like constantly. Oh my God, I, I love that. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no one told me, Google told me. But I learned that the way to get a traditional book deal at the time was to find a literary agent and query them and send them, you know, a book proposal. And I learned, I Googled how to write a book proposal and I did all of this work on my end. And I finally got an agent to represent me and it was amazing. And at that point I thought, oh, this book is going to sell. This is going to be amazing. I'm going to have my Carrie Bradshaw moment, like popping a bottle of champagne in my publisher's office and mm. being a New York Times bestseller. Like that's just, that's what happens, right? Like, duh. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like, so not what happens. Mm. But in my, little, you know, my small inexperienced mind, that was what I had, you know, I saw for myself. So I had an agent and, you know, she really believed in the book. She was a great, I actually had a couple of different offers. I went with her. She was the most successful out of the bunch that kind of, you know, wanted to represent me. We worked on the proposal for like six months, like almost six mm. to eight months, I would say. Yeah. We just refined this proposal and just kept going back to it. And I remember when she went out with the pitch and she told me she was sending it to like these different like levels of publishers. Like first she was going to cast her net, you know, with this group and then this group and, I, I just remember feeling like in the beginning, like, oh God, like someone has to pick me. Like someone's got to choose me. And that made me feel really gross. And especially mm -hmm. as a budding entrepreneur, I was like, I don't want to be chosen. I don't want some gatekeeper to tell me whether or not I can have a, a good book. But I thought that was the game I had to play. So we went out there and the book, you know, started getting rejected. And a lot of the comments were the same. People were saying, you know, it's a good story, but it's not a great story. Or, mm -hmm. you know, she's got a good platform, but not a great platform. She's not a celebrity. She has no track record. Mm -hmm. So I got to a point where we had pitched, oh my gosh, I think at that point we had 19 rejections from 19 mm. publishers. I didn't even know there were 19 publishing houses. <laughs> I was like, whoa, it's like just the hits keep on coming. Like one more, like another person's rejection. <laughs> yep. And <Did> that. <laughs> yeah. And I just, I felt so beaten down at that point. And I was like, mm. okay. And I'll never forget it. I read this blog post by Seth Godin, mm. who I love. And the blog post was called um, Pick Yourself or Choose Yourself. I can't remember the title, but he basically was really short post and he was talking about how times are changing. And this was, I'll give you guys like a reference point. This was around 2011. And he's like, you know, publishers are really not as necessary as they once were. Record labels are not as necessary as they once were. This is the age of independence and this is the age of picking yourself. And I still get goosebumps when I talk about that because that moved me so much. And I, that day I went on Create Space, which is Amazon's self-publishing platform. And I was like, screw it. I'm just going to do this myself. I'm going to self-publish this book. I'm going to figure it out. And the first book that I did, you know, did really, really well. It hit all these like number one spots on Amazon, all these different categories. And I sold a couple hundred copies that month, you know, nothing crazy or substantial, but it felt so good to me 
to move through that experience and be able to say, I'm not just going to wait around for someone to tell me that I'm good enough. I know I'm good enough. And I know that I have readers who want to read this book, even if it's 200 readers and not 2 million, it doesn't matter. Mm. So that was my first real experience with understanding that, you know, at the end of the day, you can have a team and you can have help and you can have support, but nobody is going to work for you the way you're going to work for yourself. Mm-hmm. And knowing that you can rely on yourself as a businesswoman is just so empowering to me, a businessman, anyone, any entrepreneur really who's listening. Like when you have the support of, of who you are and when you can back yourself up through any experience, like that's when you become unstoppable. Mm. Oh, so much good stuff there. I love that because I can compare that. Number one, I got rejected by, so we submitted to 22. I got rejected by 21. So Wow, you got me beat. <laughs> So I so was like, oh my God, I was right there with all those emails that came back that were like, "Mm, yeah, uh, like just the story's too basic. This has been done. I'm like, wow, that doesn't feel awesome. Okay. Um, (laughs) So right there with you. Uh, And I love that people are hearing it because it's so, so important to hear because I think they just don't. Yeah. Like those emails are brutal, man. They have no problem telling you that you have like no chance where, where you want to go. And you're like, Oh, oh, okay. Thanks. And you have to just be like, yes, I do. Yeah. Like you're like, Oh, great. Thanks. Okay. So should I just give up on every dream I've ever had? Exactly. Well, they're kind of hoping because they just don't want to open any more emails for that day, but that's okay. We're going to keep bombarding. Um, (laughs) and next I love that from Seth Godin. I just wrote that quote down actually, because it was so, so good. This is the age of picking yourself and how beautiful that that can be a breakthrough for anybody in the beginning phases of waiting for the validation. That's actually on my podcast because I felt that way in the fitness industry. That's when I stopped like going for covers and started really going um, uh, to be an entrepreneur because I was like, I am not waiting for someone to tell me that I'm good enough for a career or a cover. Like I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and I'll never feel good enough. Um, And it was a huge moment for me of I'm just going to go for it and create. So I think that's vital for people if you're not getting the answer that you want after a certain amount of time, I think you have to just do it yourself. I think it's a must. So just going for it in the beginning. So I believe a lot of the next phases of entrepreneurship is definitely resourcefulness and relationships. So let's talk about that because I think not being resourceful is a huge block and then not understanding how to navigate relationships is another one. So let's start with resourcefulness. How do, how, how do you feel about that? What's a huge block around not having the skills, not being smart enough, not knowing how? That is such a good point. I actually, it's so crazy that you're saying that because I actually was just thinking this morning about that word resourcefulness. And I was like, you know, if there's one thing I am, it's resourceful. And I've always been able to figure it out. And sometimes this is going to sound crazy, but sometimes when things feel too easy for me, or when I feel like things are just all working out so perfectly and there's never like a little bit of a challenge or resistance, I'll actually ask the universe to give me a little bit of resistance. Like Mm. just give me like a little turbulence on this flight. Just rough me up a little bit because I need to grow. (laughs) I need to level up. I need to expand. And you cannot expand if everything is just happening for you perfectly in perfect alignment. And there are seasons for that. And I do appreciate those times, but when it's too long of a time, too long of a stretch. To me, that's a sign that I'm in my comfort zone. So Mm. I love in situations where I do, where I'm forced to become resourceful and I have to figure it out. Like self-publishing is a perfect example. Like I didn't know anybody who self-published. I didn't even know anyone who's traditionally published. So I've now been on both sides of the fence. I have a book deal now and I know what it looks like to not know what the hell is going on on either side. So Mm. Google, like I said, just researching things, getting into Facebook groups, getting into forums, emailing people, just asking people for assistance or guidance or just sharing your story, I think is so important. And like I said, you can't wait for somebody else to tell you how to do it. You have to just figure it out on your own. And I think that's one of the best skills you can cultivate as an entrepreneur is being able to get it done and not wait. I hate waiting on an email to get responded. Like, I don't know about you, but that's my biggest pet peeve. Like waiting for someone to get back to me with an answer. I'm like, no, I'll just figure it out. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't wait for you. I will figure out how to design this graphic. I will figure out how to Mm -hmm. Like launch this podcast. I don't want to be on someone else's clock. That just makes me so uncomfortable. Like I just haven't had my own boss in so many years. And I just, I love the idea of just being able to just make it happen. 
Mm, that's amazing because what happens is we get trained, especially if we've been in the workforce, we're trained to wait, we're trained to ask, we're trained to get approval. So it's breaking a pattern. Yes. It's like, no, I approve it and it's on me if it doesn't work. It's radical. You know, becoming an entrepreneur is scary because it's radical responsibility for every decision. And yep. it's also when you do a job well done, guess who has to make sure they tell themselves it's a job well done? Just you. Just you. <laughs> Right, you're not like, getting a pin or a watch no. or a luncheon. <laughs> no, no one's like, you got to pour your own damn glass of champagne and celebrate yourself. So, yes. <laughs> so true. <laughs> oh man, so relationships. And this really ties into, I know a topic that you love to talk about, which is vulnerability because it's so freaking scary and awesome. Like it's equal parts scary and awesome because when you are um, an entrepreneur, I think so much of it is navigating relationships, whether it's people on your team or people you're connecting with or working with or talking to, because I think, you know, even book deals or getting your stuff out there, like we were just talking about takes relationships in order to get your work out in, into the world. And the second you say relationship, there is a 50-50 chance that you're either going to get rejected, hurt, or, you know, both. So what do you do around navigating relationships and just uh, being vulnerable and open, but also, you know, feeling, I don't know, firm in your decisions and, and good with where you're at? Oh, such a good question. I feel like I've experienced so much of this in my career and it's been something that's been a little bit of a challenge for me or something I've had to give a little bit more thought to because I am such an open, trusting, loyal person. So if somebody comes into my world and I'm connecting with them and we're becoming friendly and I feel like I can depend on them, like I will give you everything. Like I will, I will not hide anything from you. I will share all my contacts with you. I will give you advice. I will like support you a thousand percent. And I've had a lot of situations where I've received that back and it was a mutual exchange, but I've also had a lot of situations where I've received the opposite or I gave so much of myself. And then when it was time for me to maybe take a little bit of space for me and maybe not give so much or not answer a text or an email right away, I got a lot of backlash from that. So it's been an interesting journey navigating relationships and realizing that just because there are a few things that go sour or a few relationships that don't work out or friendships that kind of backfire on you, it doesn't mean that you should change who you are as a woman. And that's been something that's been a struggle for me, right? Because people will say, you're too nice or you're just, you're too kind. You're just, you're too giving, but I don't want to change who I am just because somebody else is not ready to accept who I am. And I, I, that's just been something I've had to constantly really reevaluate and remind myself, like, you can't be anyone else but you. So if you are loyal to a fault, if you are trusting to a fault, maybe that's just who you are and it's okay. And you're going to learn through every experience that doesn't necessarily work out for the best. And you're just going to learn. And it's part of life. Like we can't always be guarded and have this kind of wall up. We have to learn how to pivot when something's not working out and we have to learn how to stand up for ourselves. But I don't think we have to become so guarded. And I'm sure, Lori, like you've talked about this in your book, like just building friendships and female friendships specifically. You know, I, I hate when people say girls suck or women are just catty. Like it's just not true. Like those are just the people you're hanging out with. Maybe that was what your experience was like, but it's not always like that. Mm. Oh man. It, it, so tell me about you know, you're putting a book out right now and it's such a vulnerable thing because you're sharing your story mm -hmm. and it's like the biggest connector in the world, right? You're, you're either going to completely connect with people and they're going to be diehard and be like, I see you, I feel you, or they're going to be like, blah, this sucks. Your story's boring. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it's a super vulnerable thing, right? It's either landing or it's not. How do we not take things personal in relationships, especially when we're putting our art out into the world? You know, I think everyone's going to meet you where they're at based on their own level of experience in life and their own perspective. And it's important to keep that in mind. So if somebody is not ready for your message or if your message just doesn't resonate with someone, you can't take it personally because everybody is coming to you from the place that they're in. And it's just impossible. You know, I, I've realized that it's impossible to please everybody. You know, as much as I want to, I'm totally a recovering people pleaser. I want everyone to love me. I want everyone to love the work that I do in the world, but it's just not realistic to imagine that every single person will. And I think that's the beauty of life. Like sometimes if somebody criticizes my work, I actually, you know, the, 
the Brooklyn girl in me wants to just be like super defensive and like, you know, like, Oh, like, what is she talking about? And like, just like, you know, put the wall up. But then part of me is like, well, let me just listen to what they're saying. Mm. Number one is their value here. Can I take feedback, critical feedback from this? And if I can't, maybe I can just have compassion for that person and just realize mm. that they're just in a situation where maybe they are not open to developing themselves. Maybe something's going on where they just can't receive that message at that point And it's okay. And it's also not my job to convince them otherwise. Mm. It's so crazy. Right down to if we get a text or an email, you know, I think when we are in a defensive place, we read it defensive. Like we even do that tone. That's like, thanks, but I'm not in the mood at the moment, but have a great day. <laughs> like, yeah. like, and, then, and then my husband's like, how about you go back and try reading it again, but from like the most perky place ever. And I'm like, well, that's a different message then. Yes, it's so true. Oh my God. Especially with like the digital world, everything can be misconstrued. Like I've read Instagram comments before and I'm like, who is this person? I'm going to block them. And I'm like, wait a second. Like the next morning I'm like, I don't think that was sarcastic. I think she was being really nice. Yes, totally. Oh my God. Yes. So not taking things so personally and, and cutting yourself off from that story, like being like, no, this isn't serving me. So it's not for me. Like that's been one of the most powerful things ever for me to do. And also like, don't you notice that what we focus on expands? So if you're finding problems or flaws in a relationship, you're going to be focusing on them and you're going to find 50 more flaws with that person or that dynamic. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you can shift yourself and you can say, okay, maybe this is not working in this capacity, but look at all the other great things I've gotten from this relationship. Even if that great thing is just simply realizing you don't want to be friends with that person or this relationship isn't working for me anymore. You can still take that as a positive and move on. It all comes down to perspective. Yes. And I love that. At all times, I'm always like, okay, uh, is this robbing me, robbing my energy from the mission? Because we know the quickest way to turn things around is to focus on the good or focus on how you can serve other people or how can I help or how can I add value? Because we get stuck in letting somebody somebody's story that's probably not even true pull all of our energy and I find for women as entrepreneurs that's one of the biggest things that stops us is we get stuck on feeling bad on a story on taking things personal and all the while you have this big fish that you need to be frying that could actually be changing the world and getting your message out and helping so many people let alone making yourself feel amazing we get so stuck on the small petty things of relationships because of our programming in our past. So what do you do when you work with women who are, it's just a consistent worrying about judgment and what other people think? You know, I I think you just have to realize, like I said earlier, like it's just, it just comes down to where they're at in their life and understanding that they're just not at that same, they're not on that same frequency as you and it's okay. And I think everyone's going to have something to say about what you do. Mm -hmm. And if you worry, I mean, if I worried about what everybody said about me, like I would never have done anything in my life. I wouldn't have you know, really seven books, you know, one book, let alone seven, like it just wouldn't be possible. And I think I have to just shift the focus into the people that do celebrate me and the people that do love me. I actually have one tool that I'll share with you that I think is helpful. I have a file on my phone called love letters. Hmm. And what I do is every time I get an email or a comment or a DM that's positive, I screenshot it and I put it into this folder called love letters. And when I find myself getting down or I see a hateful comment or I get a nasty email or I just have a shitty day, I go and I open that folder and I read through all of those positive messages. And it just Mm -hmm. makes me feel so much better. And I think Mm -hmm. it just helps us shift and realize that the world is full of people. And to me, if I'm getting, you know, people that don't get me and people that don't understand me, like that's a sign that I'm just growing and my audience is becoming bigger and bigger and bigger. So there's Mm -hmm. bound to be people who just won't resonate with it. And it's okay. It's a sign of growth. Oh, yes. Okay. Sign that your audience is getting bigger and bigger and you're reaching more people. I I love that because people think, oh my God, I put myself out there and this is what happens. No, you put yourself out there to an audience of people who don't want to hear your message and that's how they define, you know, if they are going to leave or not. It's so fantastic. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I've read my book reviews on Amazon before and I've like literally been like, oh my God, like how could this person say this? How could they... But then I, I like take a step, step back and like, again, like my husband, I'm sure it's just like your husband, like totally supportive and like can be the level-headed one at times because it's yeah. our work. We're the artists, we're, we're the creator. So we're going to be so much more emotionally charged about it. But my husband's always really level-headed and he'll be like, Kara, read this again. 
this person didn't get past page five. How can you take this review seriously? Like they, <laughs> they didn't read the book. And I'm like, oh, you're right. I get it. So mm. there's always a deeper thing going on. You know, there's always something more. He'll actually even tell me like, go look at their other reviews. Cause like on Amazon, you can click on the person's name and it's mm. like, they'll have like 80 reviews that are like all one star. And they're just like hating on everything on the internet. And it's like, okay, I see you. I get it. I'm going to send you love and I'm just going to move on. Mm, so good. So we were talking right before this and, you know, maybe, maybe you didn't want me to share this. Maybe it doesn't matter, but, but we were both talking about how we, uh, were like crying throughout our book launches. Like you'll have this great moment and then you cry and then you have great moments and then you cry. And it's, I want to talk about that because people don't see it. They're like, oh, she's launching a book. She's at the height of her career. This is amazing. She's on all these awesome podcasts. She's getting out there. She's, she must feel so incredible. And yet it's one of the most crazy emotional roller coasters and expansive times of your life. So when I say expansive, what happens when you're in an, in an expansive place and you're almost being forced to expand, right? Cause that's what a book launch is. Get out there. Yeah. We can, what's happening is internally, you know, our, our, maybe the way that we see ourselves or the way that, you know, we just are wired, hardwired is to kind of contract when life starts to really expand. So I think that contraction and the tears are kind of like, I don't know, somewhat clarifying. So tell me about your, what, what the tears mean for you on the journey. Yeah. So like, it's been a very emotional journey for me because like I said, I was self-published at first. So I self-published my first four books up to a book called Girl Code that really took off. That was the book that really put me on the map. I sold a lot of copies of that book independently. And then my publisher found me because they noticed that the book was just getting so much press on its own. I never had a publicist. Like I didn't promote the book. There was not even a press release that came out about it. I self-published it from my dining room table in Brooklyn in my pajamas. Like <laughs> it was so not glamorous. It was not like, like planned to be this big thing, but the book did take off. So then I got a, a book deal and they, they acquired Girl Code. We re-released it with some bonus content and they picked up like She Owns the Place, which is my new book that's coming out. Um, so been, being on both sides of the fence is a really interesting thing. And working now with a publisher, whether or not this is reality, but this is how I feel, there are different expectations. There's an entire machine behind you that is going to be looking at sales numbers every week. And that's going to be looking at the press that you're getting. And that's going to be scrutinizing every single move that you make around the launch of this book. Whereas before I never had that. It was like just me and my dog and my husband, like sitting in my apartment, like, okay, here's a book. Like now it's out. And like, you know, just really, I mean, it's, it's weird because you would think, well, once you have a book deal, it's like so easy and it's so glamorous and it's, it's really the opposite. It's very, very different and it's not bad. It's not better. It's not worse. It's just very different. So for me, the tears, I think are just like an emotional release of like, you know, there's so much kind of weighing on this launch and, you know, so many people that are going to be involved with this, it's put me in a very vulnerable situation because if this book flops for whatever reason, you know, in the past I could always say, well, failure is just, I'm going to own it. And it's an experience. And I still think it is. But when you have more people that are attached to a failure mm -hmm. or attached to a success, it carries a different feeling for you. I think it's, it's, I'd be lying if I said that it was the exact same thing. You know, I, I have to be totally real with my audience and with everyone listening. Like it's scarier. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like now you have a publish, publisher and it's like, okay, am I going to earn out my advance? Am I actually going to sell enough copies in week one? Am I going to make any bestseller lists? Like, what is this book going to look like? Mm -hmm. So for me, just really taking a step back and remembering that I have all the tools that I need to be successful. I've done it before on my own. I sold so many copies of my other books, like all alone by myself, like grassroots DIY style. And I can mm -hmm. do it again. But it's a pep talk that I have to give myself constantly. It's every single day. It's every single minute. There are moments where I feel so high and so great and like everything is just working out. And then there's moments I take a step back and I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? What's going on? <laughs> like, how mm -hmm. am I going to get through this? So mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely not as glamorous as it looks on the outside. I can tell you that, but I'm still also so grateful for it. I think that's been the thing I, the gratitude is something I've been able to interject in every single scenario where I feel myself feeling stressed or I feel that self-doubt creeping in. Just looking back and going, if this is your biggest problem today, you are really fucking lucky. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So I, I, I love talking about the different phases of growth because I can imagine, you know, in the beginning phases of putting your first books out there. And whenever I say books, you can also just, you guys, wherever you're at listening, you know, thinking about putting a program out, putting a, a poem out, putting a post out, wherever you're at. And kind of like, what were you not expecting about you know, like you kind of just talked about, you're at, you've done so much work and put so much out. And yet now that more people are involved, it's almost like this little bit like, oh my God, I feel like I need to be validated. Am I good enough? Have I, have I done enough? What does this look like? So what's something that's come from um, leveling up? What's been a new level of vulnerability that you've noticed, um, but that was also pertinent to your growth? I think checking myself and you know, in the past when I knew what to do, I always listened to my gut. I always knew what to do. I would get an opportunity, something would come across my email, speaking engagement, for example, or, you know, something, an idea, and I would know immediately, instant, yes or no. Mm. And now when people are presenting things to you and you say no, and they say why, and you say no, this is why, and they say, well, I still don't understand why, you're forced to now second guess your intuition. And mm. that's been something that's been really interesting for me to deal with. And balancing, okay, should I keep an open mind and should I take this person's viewpoint into consideration? But is that also going against my gut feeling? So that's been a big one for me. Like once you reach new levels and once there are more people involved, you are going to have more opinions in your world and there's going to be more noise. So learning how to really navigate those opinions and balance them with what you know to be true for yourself has been really, really interesting for me. And it's been a testament to my ability to stay firm in the things that I know are best for me. Mm, That's so good. And that's so true. I've had similar experiences for sure where I'm like, no, I totally know them. Like, do I, oh my God, do I know? (laughs) Yeah. You know, that's like the hardest thing. And like my biggest, I mean, I talk about this in the book too, in the new book. And I, I say it all the time. Like, Your intuition is your North star. Your intuition Mm. will never fail you. And the best way to get intimate with your intuition is to spend time alone and to be with yourself and to be alone in thought. And it doesn't have to look like a meditation class. I don't do that stuff. Like to me, I meditate by going out to like a hotel bar and having a glass of champagne and listening to like a live jazz band and journaling. Mm -hmm. Like that's my version of meditation. It it looks different for everybody. But Mm -hmm. spending more time alone really helps you get there. But when you're at the beginning stages, for example, there is no machine. There is no publisher. There is no team. No one is going to tell you what to do because no one is in your world at that point. Nobody really has anything invested in you. But as you start to build your career, there are more people involved and there are more people with, you know, weighing in on things. So there are more voices. So just knowing that that's going to come up and that's going to happen. So if you can practice trusting your gut as often as you possibly can, I think that's one of like the key things for any successful entrepreneur, even little things like, what do you want for dinner? You know, if you like sit there and and wonder for 20 minutes, like, oh my God, what should I eat? Like it's the last supper. Like you're, that's not practicing your intuition. Like think about what you want. Do you want sushi? Okay. Get sushi. You build trust in yourself by those Mm -hmm. little tiny movements where you learn to depend on, on yourself and you know, inherently like what you truly want. Mm, yes. Building trust in yours. I love that. Just going with that first gut reaction and the feedback is also going to give you feedback. Like, oh, maybe that wasn't it. Okay. Got it. Okay. I know what that felt like. I love that so much. Um, Okay. So in your chapter four, you say vulnerability is a superpower, but can you really get that across to women? Cause they're like, no, it's not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I tell a story actually um, in the book. Well, I wonder what story I should tell in this, this episode. There's two stories, the Stevie Nicks story. And then there's like the, the Japan story. I'll tell the Stevie Nicks story because I think (laughs) it's cool. I saw her in concert. I love Stevie Nicks and Fleetwood Mac. She's like my like obsessed. I saw her in concert a couple of years ago and I was so excited to go to the show. And I remember going there and walking in and seeing her take the stage. And I was just like blown away. And she starts playing her music. And like by the second song, she starts talking about how nervous she is to be there. And she's like, literally like shaking on stage. And she's like, I'm so nervous. Oh my God. And at first I thought like, maybe she's just being humble. She's just saying this to us to make us laugh and make us feel good. But then I could tell throughout the performance when she was singing and in her craft and doing her thing, doing her Stevie Nicks thing, she was incredible. But anytime she would take a step back and have to speak, she would like fall apart. And she Mm -hmm. was so 
like just freaked out to like be on that stage. And I remember thinking, oh my God, this is like big because she's like huge, like seasoned artist. She's been around for years. Like how could somebody like her be nervous and be that vulnerable to admit that she's so nervous? Mm-hmm. And there was one point in the show where she gave like this beautiful introduction to her piano player, I think, and she forgot his name. And she's like, oh, she just owned it on stage. And she's like, oh, I must be having like a senior moment. I totally forgot his name. And I'm thinking, oh my God, so many other people would have just like been so mortified, ran off stage, been embarrassed, but she just completely embodied somebody who was comfortable being vulnerable. And I remember being there at that show and thinking like, this is something to pay attention to. This Mm. is a woman I want to be like, because the more vulnerable she was with the crowd, the more everyone in the audience was like roaring with support and love and adoration and clapping for her and getting into the music. And I just, it confirmed to me that the more real we can be with people, the more relatable we're going to be. And the more people are going to have respect for us. And that was just such a big moment for me in my career. Like to the fact that I even like included it in the book, because it was just a big like aha moment. Mm. Oh, and all I could hear throughout because I was, you know, experiencing the story, like it's, it's freeing me because when she's vulnerable like that as well, it says that giving yourself permission to just be okay and be open and come as you are, whatever that looks like, is so expansive because you can experience more and you can enjoy more instead of getting stuck in the, oh my God, I forgot his name. I can't believe I forgot his name. Then ruining the entire experience and your performance and what was really happening and being um, being able to be present. Like how beautiful is that? Vulnerability is also permission for, it's for yourself. Yeah. It's permission for yourself. And it's also permission for the people around you, I think, to realize that it's okay to be human. We're all human beings. We all mess up. We all have those moments where we're not sure of what we're doing. We forget a line. We feel like awkward. We feel embarrassed, but it's fine. And I think the more that you talk about it, the more people aren't as shocked when you are as vulnerable. Like Mm. to me, like it's, it's something that I do constantly. So when people say to me, like, you know, I'm so moved by the fact that you were able to just own that. But now the people that know me and follow me for a long time, they like, they just get it. They're like, well, that's just who she is. And it becomes easier for me. It becomes easier for other people to hear and it makes them feel better. And it just, it's like a muscle that we have to flex. And in the beginning, it's going to feel weird. And you're going to feel like for anyone who's listening and you're just like, I can't do it. Trust me. I get it. But try in small ways, like just try in those little ways And like, again, like intuition, you know, just like be, just be as real as you can possibly be. And before you know it, it just becomes a lifestyle. Like it just, it truly becomes second nature. Like I can't imagine living any other way. Mm. Okay. So I have so many questions around um, success as a state of being, because it's like such a multi-layered um, six, the word success is so has multiple dimensions and layers to it because success, first of all, we're defining our own success, but also we have to have a target and we have to have a goal. <laughs> yes. So with that said, what does success look for you? Um, what does it mean and how does it look for you right now? And what's the next level of success look like for you? For me, success looks like being calm, being peaceful internally, and just knowing that nothing outside of me can define me. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's really, it's understanding that there are no things outside of who I am. There's no amount of money. There is no celebrity client. There is no bestseller list that can make me feel as successful as just waking up every single day and knowing that I'm about to do something that makes me feel really fucking good mm-hmm. and that lights me up and that just feels completely aligned with who I am. I think the opposite of success, and maybe this is a better way to put it, the opposite of success to me feels like weird and out of whack and misaligned. And like, you know, that feeling where you're just like, oh, it's a like gross. Like, this is just not me. That's the opposite. So I want to be in the opposite space. I want to be in a space of like flow and alignment. And I know those words are so overused, but that's like the best way for me to really describe Mm -hmm. it. Just Mm -hmm. being in a space of waking up every single day and saying, what do I want to do today? Am I excited about this? Does this feel true to me? Is this going to be the best expression of myself? And then being able to make it happen and also being able to make a living off of it. Mm. So how do you stay in that place when you are 
putting something out, you have to, I believe you have to state a number that you want when you're doing a program, you know, what would you desire to make from this? Or when it's a book, it's kind of like, I think it's important to shoot for a range of how many copies you'd want to sell. I think it's important to shoot for goals, right? So how do we stay in that state of, no, I'm successful now if I'm here, but I also desire this because it's two completely opposite energies in my personal opinion sometimes. Yeah. It's confusing, right? Because we're taught like, at least for me, like we're taught like, okay, law of detachment is like a big thing that I've studied, you know, especially not just through the law of attraction, but also like, you know, my mom studied like Buddhism for a long time and meditation and like Kadampa, which is like a Buddhist, you know, like philosophy here in New York. I think they have centers, other parts of the country, but it's just Buddhist philosophies for like modern living and law of the, just the law of detachment and the idea of detaching from outcome is a big one. And I've always struggled with that too. Cause I'm like, well, how can I strive for things and be like this alpha female and this like ambitious woman, but then feel like, well, I'm okay if it doesn't happen. Cause it can't, it feels contradictory, right? I'm sure you feel the same way. Mm-hmm. So for me, it's just, it's still striving for things and wanting things, but reminding myself that I'm worthy regardless of the outcome. And that's the missing piece that I think a lot of us fail to realize. It's okay to want stuff. It's okay to dream big. It's okay to set goals. It's okay to have numbers around those goals and specifics around those goals, but understanding that whatever happens is my story and it's going to be my story to tell and it's going to be my story to teach even more specifically. Mm -hmm. So if something doesn't work out in my favor, there's a lesson there. And I always talk about like viewing the world through a lens of teaching because what I do, what you do, we're teachers, right? We ultimately are telling stories and we're helping people and we're inspiring people. So understanding that whatever comes out of that situation is going to be the best for me. It's serving my higher self. It's serving my higher good. It's going to be exactly where I need to be. It's, it's my path is unfolding perfectly. Mm. And no matter, even if, you know, you want something so badly, but when you attach that energy of want and it almost, it's a fine line between want and desire and desperation, right? Because when we want something so bad, I feel like then it all of a sudden it starts to quickly morph into like this desperate energy. Like if I don't get this, like I'll just be so bummed and I want this more than anything. So it's, it's just balancing that. And I think for me, one of the best things that I can do is just spend time alone and really spend time in solitude and remind myself that everything is happening exactly as it should. And one of my favorite mantras is what's for you will not pass you. Mm. Oh, God, that's so good. Mm -hmm. What's for you will not pass you. And what passes you was never meant for you. Mm. And it's so hard, right? Because we want something. Like you think your life is going to be better when you get that thing. But at the end of the day, that thing is never going to bring you happiness. Mm -hmm. And to me, being successful is being happy. And it's feeling good. It's waking up every single day feeling really, really good inside. And that looks different every day, right? Those things that you do every day are going to be different. But understanding that no external thing can give me that feeling. I have to create that feeling first. Success is a state of being and everything extra, all that stuff outside of me, if that happens, that's great. But the the weird thing is the more that I realize that I don't need those things, the more I attract and the more of those things actually happen for me. Mm -hmm. So it's like Mm -hmm. detaching so that you can allow. Mm. Yes. I love that. Detaching while still doing actions. Yes. yes. <laughs> for sure. I, that's when everything happens for me too. It's like, no, I thought I was detached. And I look back and I was like, oh, my claws were in that so deep. I still wasn't, de- I still was so attached. Like I can see it when things did not happen. And I can also see why things didn't happen. You know, that wasn't for me yet. It's so interesting, just hindsight. And also I think the perspective that you shared, it's kind of like, this is always happening for me as well. Yeah. That's just so, so incredibly powerful. So who is your book for? Who were you thinking about when you wrote it? Or was it more just like, I'm going to tell the story and see where it lands? My book is for any woman, like I always say on the edge of change. You know, I, I think all my work is for any woman on the edge of change. It's for a woman who knows that she wants to reinvent herself, that has the feeling inside of her, that gut feeling like something has to give something has to change. I'm ready to step into the next version of me, but I just need a little bit of inspiration. I just need a little bit of guidance before I do it. I want to talk to someone who's been there. I want to sit across the table and have a glass of champagne with someone who already did it to kind of just give me like that little boost of motivation to get it done and maybe share some strategies and some things that worked and that helped me 
get there. I mean, it's for any woman who really wants to develop a true sense of confidence. I think we're fed so many lies about confidence as women. We're, we're taught that it's going to come in the form of, you know, success or a boob job or Botox mm-hmm. or, you know, some kind of level of something in our company or money. And it's just not true. So mm-hmm. it's for a woman who I think who really wants to develop a true, what I call sustainable sense of self-esteem and self-worth and, and really just reinvent herself and step into the best possible version of who she knows she can be. Mm, so good. What's most exciting for you right now? Most exciting. I don't know. I think the, the, the sense of unknown, honestly, the sense of like a lot of people are like, what are you doing next? I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) That excites Mm -hmm. me. Just being, Mm -hmm. um, being able to be in a new space. I recently moved, I moved from Brooklyn to Manhattan and just honestly, I walk around every day in the city and I'm just, and I was born and raised here. So I know Manhattan, like the back of my hand, but being in a new neighborhood here and walking around and thinking of who I want to be next, I think that's, what's exciting for me. Mm, so good. I'm kind of in that space too. Um, so I believe after every project or after you give birth to any creation that's in you, that you have a, you become a new person. So what, um, have you found is new for you on the other side of releasing this, uh, book? Hmm. Like who are you, who are you now compared to who you were when you started? You know, I think I'm obviously, I'm wiser because I've learned a lot of things along the way definitely more vulnerable. Um, I don't know, I guess just more open. I, I, I don't know if I'm newer. I think I'm just more me than I've ever been. And I think I'm, I'm being forced to kind of strip back layers and peel back the layers and realize that it always comes down to who I always was at the core. And it's almost like unlearning rather than learning, if that makes sense. Oh God. Yes. That is amazing. That's right? like such a delicious answer. I'm more yeah. me. I'm like, yes. Yeah. I, I guess that's like the best way to put it. So good. Okay. Where can we get your book? Number one. So if you go to likesheownstheplace.com, you can pick your favorite retailer, order anywhere you want. It's on Amazon. It's in every bookstore. It's in the US, the UK, hopefully some more places soon. Um, But yeah, it's and I'm on Instagram at the champagne diet. So I'm on there constantly. So you guys can connect with me there if you want. Mm, Awesome. You guys get the book, get your friend a book, get your friend's (laughs) friend a book. Thank you, Lori. It's how you make friends. (laughs) Just go hand it out. Um, Okay. And I always end on one last question. Um, But first, I just really want to acknowledge you, number one, just for being such a support in the world to all women. I literally feel it. I feel it from your um, posts. I felt it the second that we connected. Like you are a true supporter of humans in general, but especially um, just females, female entrepreneurs. And I just immediately felt that. So know that your energy is never, ever wasted, even if it's just a post that you're like, well, let's see where it lands. Cause I feel it. So um, yes, you're amazing. And I'm so grateful that you came on the podcast and just shared so much wisdom in such a beautiful way. So thank you. And I want to end on one last question. And that is, you're in an elevator. Yes, you're in an elevator. <laughs> the elevator question. Um, and it's a super quick ride and there's a stranger in there and they look over at you and ask, how can I make myself happy? What do you say? Make yourself feel something you've never felt before. Oh my God. So good. You- <laughs> I could not agree more. That's like what I'm trying to do every day right now. Yeah. Okay. That's, just, that's where I'm at. Just feel mm-hmm. something you've never felt or maybe something you lost for a little while. Just, just feel something new. Oh God. I love it. I need like a coffee table book of just all of these answers. <laughs> okay. You guys, if you love this episode as much as I did, make sure you share it with your friends and until next time, earn your happy. Bye everyone. Thank you guys so much for spending this time with me on the Earn Your Happy podcast. I am so glad that you stopped by. If you could take one second to share this episode with someone you think would love it, that would be absolutely amazing and we would be forever grateful. Also, please leave us a review if you feel so moved by going to iTunes and leaving us an honest thought, an honest comment. Tell us what you think. Tell us what you want to hear more of. It would really help us out on our journey to helping thousands and thousands of people. Until then, don't forget to earn your happy. Thanks again, guys. Bye-bye.